Welcome to the Art School Podcast. I'm Ken Goshen. This is episode three, and I have to say it's absolutely packed with valuable information for artists, so I suspect you'll really enjoy it. My guest today is Roni Yoffe. Roni is an Israeli painter, illustrator, and a teacher of painting and drawing. She's the founder and admin of the largest, most active, and fastest-growing Israeli art-related Facebook group. It's called Betsefer Letziur, which means School of Painting. She runs multiple Instagram accounts devoted to art history and education, the links to which you can find in the show notes. Those of you who listened to the intro of episode one may remember a prediction I made. I said since I'm new to podcasting, I was bound to make a serious mistake at some point along the learning curve. Well, my friends, unfortunately, today is that day. When I was setting up to record this episode, I had my microphone settings all wrong, and as a result, the quality of my audio is suboptimal to say the least. Luckily, Roni sounds great, and she's the one sharing the vast majority of valuable information in this episode. To help you endure the discomforting sound of my voice, I recommend imagining that I'm an old radio broadcaster from the 50s and that I'm bringing you Roni's pearls of wisdom from the future. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate it highly and subscribe wherever you're listening, especially on Apple Podcasts, as they weigh listener reviews very heavily. Every five-star review helps this podcast reach more people, so thanks in advance. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by the generosity of my Patreon supporters. You can become a supporter, too, at patreon.com slash Ken Goshen. And now I bring you my conversation with Ronnie Yoffe. Ronnie, thank you so much for taking the time. <laughs> thank you for, uh, for inviting me. It's great. It's, it's a really pleasure to, to speak English again. I apologize for my accent. <laughs> no, I'm so glad to have some Israeli accent here on the podcast. Uh, it adds a level of Middle Eastern flair that I, I've, been, uh, I've, been sh- I've, I've been too late on incorporating into the mix. Uh, so I think the best thing to start off with is to let some people who don't know you yet know a little bit about yourself, uh, your art background, your education, and uh, what are you up to these days? Uh, okay, um, art background. I've been studying drawing and painting uh, professionally for the last 15 years in all kinds of uh, programs. I had a mentor for nine years and then I, I went to the Tahana studio in Tel Aviv for, uh, for six months. And there I met Aaron Weber and I studied with him for two years. And then he told me, Ronnie, <laughs> come on, just go to Florence Academy. <laughs> and then I spent only one year in Florence Academy. I could only afford one year, unfortunately, but it was really, really meaningful. And then I got back in 2018 And started uh, studying uh, painting uh, to continue the program of Florence Academy with uh, Stella Lamikhov in uh, Give a Time in Israel. And now for the last uh, six months, I think, or at least a little less, uh, I'm doing a little sculpture with uh, Ron Weber. Oh, no and kidding. It's uh, really, really awesome. And during that time, I also did a graphic design course and a concept design course uh, little bit of this little bit of that <laughs> so you're 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 all over the map 
Uh, that's that's yeah, brilliant, yeah, really. and and so it's it's great to know that you and Iran are are working together. He's uh, he's yeah, one of my favorite people. Awesome. He's one of my favorite so people. Awesome. I mean, his studio is like heaven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've only been there once, but it's like it's an abs it's an <laughs> it's an absolute mind. Like that's that's really how you should construct your studio with all the beautiful casts, and it's just well yeah. to to people to people listening audio, they should probably check out I guess it's iranweber dot com or like look for iran Iran Weber on on Google. If you don't know his work yet, he's an Israeli sculptor, and both of us are basically drooling uh, for pretty good reason once yeah. you <laughs> once you take a take a quick look at his Almost work, you'll see. Every teacher in the Florence Academy, every time they ask me, "Ah, I know your accent from somewhere." I said, "Yes, hey, I'm from Israel." I said, "Oh, do you know Iran Weber?" I said, "Yes, I'm his student." I'm like, "Ah, oh, Iran." <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's the he he's the greatest ambassador of like is Israelis worldwide in the in the realist uh, in the realist community. So yeah, totally. I think I think where we can take this uh, this conversation, I think what would make most sense to me is I. So I've known you for a few years, and for me it's been it's been a little bit of a journey to to decide whether or not I should be focusing on social media. I should be doing things like that. I mean, at some point, I guess every artist goes through this conflict of I want to be in the studio all day. I just want to be painting. I don't want to be dealing with all this other nonsense. but then you <laughs> but then you're you're forced to look reality in the face and understand the importance of social media for for every artist's practice these days. and as as I was just starting to get into it, I noticed how ahead of the curve you are, especially on Facebook. Okay. So do you want to yeah. maybe share with us your thoughts on art, social media, the intersection between them? Well, I think very early, uh, I started, uh, I, I went pro. I started selling drawings and paintings on 2009. Uh, and it was, uh, I think, at the summer of 2009. And I was in the end of some really, really weird project called uh, uh, 100 Bad Drawings. And I, I just posted every day a drawing. I did the same day because I had no time. I had this uh, regular job. Like I was a pastry chef at the restaurant. I worked for 11 hours a day, six days a week. And I had zero time to draw. So I was getting up. And in the, in the first hour of the day, I drew something and I posted online, which eventually ended up to, to bring me many followers. It was really cool. And after nine months at the restaurant, uh, I saved a little money and I said, okay, okay, just, okay, I will leave the, the regular job and I will try to sell drawings. I have enough money. I saved for, for at least a year, I think. I had really a lot of savings. And then I said, okay, let's try. Let's give it a try. Many people are following me. They're reacting to what I do. Okay. And Facebook didn't have so many uh, sophisticated algorithms. So people just saw what you did if they followed you. That simple. Uh, and then I said, okay, hey guys, I'm selling everything I do. So <laughs> if anyone wants to buy something, it would be really cool. And uh, two of my friends, they bought, uh, I think, three paintings. They, they commissioned three paintings. Uh, for the living room and I did it gladly and another one from work I think she bought something for her boyfriend and it started off really 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 slow and like a very very small amount of money I mean they were my friends and I didn't know what to, what's going on and also I had zero idea what's going on in Israel or in the world uh, in, in a matter of, of pricing had no idea so I started off and I said okay 
it was August and I said, okay, if until January, I, I still have enough money, I will continue. If not, I will find a day job. And here we are. Wow. That, so that's a pretty stunning, stunning story. You tell it very casually, but I think for a lot of artists, I tell it a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> for a lot of artists, that, that's genuinely their dream. Like they can, they literally get up in the morning and say, if I could only make money from selling my work and make that my primary occupation, I'd be satisfied. And well, there are a few points, very, very important points that I see them casually, but I did post for every day for three months, every single day I posted something and I didn't say I'm selling, I'm selling, I'm selling. I, I didn't say anything about marketing, about business, nothing. I just posted things and I, I, people started following me because they like what I did. And also I commented to what they they comment to me. And we had some sort of communication. And most people today, they think, oh, so I put like 10 works online right now. And I say for sale and magic will happen. Now I say it doesn't work this way, even especially today with all the algorithms and, and it really depends on who your target audience. And when I ask some who your target audience, of course, they say, Everyone, everyone. everyone should like my paintings. It's very, very not true. You should really know who your target audience. Uh, we can talk about it for at least two hours. But uh, um, And also, I saved money for a year of my life. Okay, If you want to go independent, you should calculate how much does it cost you to live, your rent, your food, your car, your friends, your addictions, your, I don't know, whatever. How much does it cost for one year? And you save for that. Some people like to take risks, so they do it for six months. But I hate risks and I hate surprises, so I saved for one year. Okay? And it really gave me, like, security, you know, to just paint what I wanted to paint, not to take every commission, just commissions I was really interested in. I mean, some people wanted me to copy a Picasso. No, I did. I did. Some people want me to copy Jackson Pollock. No, I do not want to participate in that. So I could afford to refuse this. Uh, and Okay, and every commission you post it online. I did this commission. It was very fun. And you just continue to do that. And during that time, along with Facebook, I also did, uh, I don't know how to call it, just, I just posted things everywhere that was free. Like every forum, every website like DeviantArt, today we have ArtStation, every single place I could find that was free and I managed to operate. <laughs> and then once you Google my name, you just have like 10 pages of Google. And it was really cool. I don't know if it still works like that today. I just, I mostly post on Facebook and Instagram. I recently started TikTok, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like, I like that. Well, you're all that, that really, my audience is more of an educational thing. <laughs> that, that, that's brilliant. I love, I love that look to, for, for the people who, who aren't watching the video. When, when Roni said TikTok, it's like that look that uh, I guess us, we're, we're still considered millennials, but I guess we're the, we're, we're the older millennials and, and uh, no. we're not millennials we're boomers we're boomers yeah well the, 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 me. i'm not sure where you were born but i think <laughs> very I'm eight, old for eight, that 88 that. are you older than me 
85. Oh my God. I know, I, well, you, you look young, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think both of us, uh, I guess the word TikTok turns millennials into boomers. But uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to pick up on, on a few threads that you mentioned that I'm, I'm, I'm sure the listeners would love for you to delve deeper into. You're, you're, you said two really important things. One, you need to know what your target audience is. And I, I would love for you to, uh-huh. to say a few words about that. Because initially, yeah. I mean, I, I know that, that I was there too. When I was, when I was asked, well, what's your target audience? I, was, I would instinctively say, well, hopefully everyone, like I'm, I'm painting nice stuff. Why wouldn't everyone <laughs> like my stuff, right? So how about you up, do a little corrective measure on my thinking? Why, why should only a few people like my stuff or why should I care? Well, first of all, you are a traditional painter. It means that you're not doing a mass production of a thing. You do a single thing every time. And you don't need to sell like 200 of, of the same thing. You need to sell only one painting and only one buyer can want, buy one painting. So you don't really have to aim to everyone. I mean, I, I, I don't see why even. Also, I think pricing is a very good way to understand who in, in generally is your target audience. For example, if you have paintings that cost $500, are 18-year-olds can afford them? Are 15-year-olds can afford them? They're not your target audience, so you shouldn't post your work where they are the majority, hence TikTok, for example. And uh, let's say uh, your work, it, the minimum uh, amount of money for, for something that you sell is $2,000. Now who your target audience is? Are people uh, in college your target audience? I don't think so. Okay, so pricing is a really good way to start like uh, taking off groups of people that really are not relevant to you. That's interesting. Now, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but I was just going to say when I said two things, the second was pricing. So I'm happy that you're, <laughs> you're, you're ahead of the curve yet again. I have, no, I have, I have what to say about pricing. Anyway, it, it's one way just to start thinking about your target audience. The second thing is the most important thing is what are your paintings about? Okay, so if you do like uh, what they call fan art, okay, if you paint the Joker and Wonder Woman and Spider-Man, so you need to think who are the people who are most interested in those things. For example, my mother is not the target audience for these kind of paintings. It's for more young people. It's maybe for a geek community, which are very good audience. They love them. They really love spending money on really nice things. We love those. Okay. If, if you paint a homage for, for computer games, also, who, who are the people who are most interested in these? If you paint things that are uh, about family and babies and stuff like that, maybe um, moms are your target audience, right? If, and, and some people, you know, and in Israel, it's really common these days that you paint only still lifes. It's like the, the hottest. You can only sell still lifes, basically. You cannot sell landscape. You cannot sell nude. You cannot say pop. I mean, only only still lifes, just if, if you're realist. So 
if you paint still lifes and you paint only pieces of raw meat, then all of the vegans are not your target audience, and we have many of those, okay? Uh, and it, it really depends on the subject matter, okay? You need, really need to know what are your paintings about, and I can't say that enough because it's also really good for art development. Like, what, what, why are you painting? Who are you painting to? What, are you want, what do you want to say in your painting, in your work, and who needs to hear it the most, So I think it's really, really important to really understand actually what are you doing. And I really used to hate that question because like, why are you painting what you're painting? I said, because I like it. <laughs> well, well, it's nice when you're 20 to give that answer. But I think after a few years that you're walking in this thing and you, you should have certain idea, I mean, I imagine you have thought of it, like, why are you painting things? What is the common, like, what, 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 do you have, what all your paintings have in common? And there usually is something in common, at least maybe two, three subjects, you, each, you, you investigate them separately. So you should have some sort of idea. And I think it's really helpful for you, for you to develop uh, whatever it is that you're doing. Also to be very focused. So do you have any kind of exercise that you propose to people if they're unfamiliar with how to answer that question and they think, well, I, I'm painting the stuff that I enjoy looking at and I don't know really how to find common themes. So if somebody okay. really says one, all, what, what do they do? First of all, you look at all of them together. It's really good just to spread them around the room or just look at your folder or whatever. Just look at them all together. And if you cannot find anything in common, just ask your friends, okay? Send a, a screenshot or a photograph of, of many paintings together. Ask them, send them to people for your family, to your friends, to your colleagues. And what do you see in common? What, what do these paintings have in common? And I'm pretty sure none of them will say, oh, there's nothing in common. <laughs> I mean, there usually is something in common. Do, is, is there all, uh, are they all uh, figures? Are they all landscape? Are they all still lives? Or maybe are they all um, related to where you were born? Are they all, uh, uh, I, I really like to paint uh, ponds like, like board games. I mean, so there must be something in common. So this is the first thing you should do is to just to look at your work from everything that you like. Okay. Sometimes you have work that just doesn't represent you. It's okay. But just look at all the things that you like and try to understand like what, why did I do this? Why did I put so much time in painting the thing? Now, I also think that it's really common in Israel just to Google something and find a nice photograph and just copy it and represent it as your work. I used to do it, I think, until 2015. And uh, if you copy someone else's composition, hence a photographer, usually, then it's trickier to really figure out why did you paint it. You like it. But, I mean... Why? Why did you like it? So I really recommend if you want to go pro, if you want to go independent, start making your own composition. It's okay to draw or draw or paint for a photograph. I'm sorry for everyone in France Academy for hearing this. It's okay <laughs> to paint for photographs as long as you made it. You made the composition, you decided on the angle, on the lighting, on the subject, on the arrangement. If, if you 
decided everything. It's your own composition. And just work from this. If, if it's too difficult for, to work from life, it's okay. And, and when you are engaging in arranging your own composition, then you use your brain. <laughs> I mean, you use your brain and then you, you find reasons or reason. I like it in, in English. Reason is also like <laughs> why and also like it, it has some sort of sense. Okay. So start actually thinking about what you're doing That's- and look at it and think of it. That's really interesting, and uh, I'd like to I'd like to maybe add one one point to that. When you're saying working from somebody else's photo or somebody else's uh, reference, we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of precedents for that in art history, where people weren't necessarily just copying the thing, but actually taking somebody else's work and creating some kind of adaptation to it. Like we would see it in Picasso's work and in Francis yeah, Bacon's of work. If you do homage, if you do a study, of course, it's super acceptable, of course. But if you do homage, it's even more important for you to understand what it is, why is Las Meninas relevant to to uh, to Picasso, to the to the Kernica or to whatever, I mean, to, I don't know, uh, maidens from Avignon, I'm not sure how to say it. I mean, if you do homage, then you love listening to podcasts but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast maybe you want to build a brand grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby whatever your reason for making a podcast buzzsprout is the place to start since 2009 buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Uh, then, everything, then, yeah. then everything's okay. Then you can think less and do more. Um. No, you <laughs> think more. Like, why is this the homage? I mean, I see so many people just putting starry night and girl with pearl earring together and like why why would you do that what is the, why why i said oh it's nice no it's not nice it's the only paintings you know right <laughs> i mean i also kind of for me this this might be might be a little bit of a uh tangent here but you mentioned the geek community this always reminds me of like the fan art of putting characters from different tv shows together it's like what if what if Starry Night was connected to whatever girl with the pearl earring? And it's kind of like a dreamscape that people just love two giants and they want to see them come together. So I kind of understand that. In it, the geek in me understands it. You know, I, I, I do understand. I mean, why would you connect these two things? But there are so many works of art that you can connect and have some sort of new meaning. If you want to connect two pieces of art or three pieces of art, you should really know art if you really like know the art history i mean to know the, only the celebrities <laughs> and only the single paintings of the celebrities that are very famous like yeah uh, girl with very earring or a starry night then it will be it will be a thin right. you know thin idea but if you connect something that if you have like a lot of knowledge of art history, then you can think of many other paintings who would be better together. Of course. Right? And, and, and the reason that I was saying it is not, not because I endorse that strategy. It's, it's just because <laughs> I, I, I sympathize with the sentiment, but I think you, yeah. you hit on something extraordinarily important. And that's 
that's actually not discussed thoroughly enough, I think, uh, in, in the, I would call it the beginner artist discourse, is the importance of, of an education in art history specifically. And, and, and there's, there's, I think there's a lot of acceptance about, uh, you know, not really knowing where anything comes from. And, and it's a little bit different from other fields of, of creative output. Yeah. Like, for example, if I, if I, yeah, if I'm learning how to play the guitar, it would be crazy to think that I don't know who Jimi Hendrix is. It just would be yeah. crazy. You, could, you, yeah, you couldn't do it. If, you, if you're starting to learn piano and you are, you're not familiar with Bach or Mozart, something is strange. But in, in art, I feel like there's a lot more room for art as quote therapy, close quote. I paint because it makes me feel good kind of thing. And that yeah. sometimes translates into a more serious hobby without ever having to go through that filter of making yeah. yourself more familiar with what, what came you know, before you. You know what's their excuses? They, their excuse is, uh, I don't want to know anything that ever, anyone did before me, so I don't copy. I want to be original. And why is that like, wrong? Rembrandt knew everything before him. It didn't bother him. It didn't disturb him to be original. I mean, all of the artists, all of the major artists, the most famous one, and not only the most famous one, they knew art history very, very good, and it didn't bother them. It didn't disturb them to be very original. So I, th I think knowing art history, it really what helps you to be original. It really makes, it generates ideas. It generates connections between things. You understand what, what is meant to interpret a situation, a, a, a history event, a biblical story. Uh, it's very, it's so important to study art history. And actually I'm doing this thing now recently, I think the last year I have like, I think five or six Instagram pages for uh, art history in Hebrew, mm. because we just don't have it. We, we do not <laughs> have, have it. Whatever you studied in, in high school in like for, for your uh, final exams, you forget it. And also it's only the celebs, only Europe, only, of course, male artists. And this is art history for you. Maybe you did a, a master's degree or something like that and you know a bit more, but it's very narrowed. And also you have no idea what's going on today. So... Do you want to plug those accounts to the people who are interested in art history in Hebrew just to make sure that they follow the correct uh, accounts? Uh, do I send them to you? Or should we'll I say them? We'll put them in the show notes. You'll send them to me. I'll, okay. I'll put them in the show notes. So, okay. and to the people who would want to go, I know this, this, this might be too broad of a question, but to the people who are encouraged by what you're saying and they want to go deeper than following a few Instagram accounts, do you have any kind of resource that you find to be extremely valuable for art historical education? Like, well, where would you point people? Well, if it's online, then uh, I will give you another link for a very, like, basic and, like, uh, very, really nice and short course for art history. It's called From Rembrandt to Goya or something like that. It's a series of, of lessons, like, seven minutes or ten minutes. It's a really nice starting point. And what I recommend is just find someone that is in, you're interested in or you like their work and start with Wikipedia. Seriously, just start with Wikipedia, read about them. In the Wikipedia, you have names of their teachers, of their schools, of their colleagues, of their paintings, and you can just start searching your own things that, that are interesting for you. 
Also, the second thing I really, really recommend to do, it's a little bit technical, arrange a timeline. Because I had no idea when was the 16th century. I had no idea when Michelangelo lived. I had no idea when Velasquez lived. I just, I had to draw a timeline and just place everyone in, in the right place to understand like when everything happened. Like, and then I realized that between Donatello and all the other Ninja Turtles, there were so many years, they didn't know each other. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, if you watched uh, Hannah Gadsby's uh, show, uh, Douglas, you also know why Titian is not Ninja Turtle. And if you don't know, I will not spoil it for you. No, I have to know. You have to tell me. Oh my God. Okay. So do no, we have, have to, to we have to go it. watch it? Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing show. It's really, really funny. I, I, and she really gives a really good explanation why Titian is not a Ninja Turtle. And it's, it's the truth. It's I, I thought I, I'm going to guess, I'm going to venture a guess. Everybody can know that I have, I have not yet watched the, the aforementioned yeah. episode, but isn't it because he wasn't from Florence or didn't spend any time in Florence? No. She's okay. To the audio listeners, I'm getting a no from Ronnie here. <laughs> I'm getting a clear no. Okay, well, my theory was all of them are Florentines or at least made most of their work in Florence. But okay, I have some, I have some catching up to do. So to, the, to, yeah. the, to, to people who are looking for, for uh, more sources on art history, I would say the <laughs> best place to start is a book by Gombrich called The Story of Art. It's a bit, a bit of a heavy book, but it's also a heavy lift. To say, to say, I'm going to tell you the whole story of art in a book. We're lucky that yeah. it's not twice nice. the length. And I, I think it's a, it's a fantastic resource. I also, I, I really like to recommend things that I can handle. So, I mean, there are books, uh, I mean, in the, in the your previous video with Steven Bauman, he, he mentioned the Harold Speed, the, the Practice in Science of Drawing. I also really recommend this book, but I know it's not for everyone especially if they're not English speakers, mm -hmm. 18th century English speakers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I also recommend like uh, the, um, I think Google Art Project mm. in, uh, in YouTube. They have also, it's a series of short videos about a single painting. And it's really, really interesting and fun to watch. And also the, the channel of uh, National Gallery in London, mm. they are amazing i just want to visit there and spend all my life in the national gallery because of their videos and also it's it's short there are short videos sometimes not very short sometimes like an hour an hour and a half even uh, but they really really give you also some information about a specific painting or specific artist and it's a starting point it's really really good i want to pull us back to something that i told myself not to forget before I get carried away into the art history dimension, which has a, has a great pull on me. Uh, cool. give, us, give us a word or two about pricing. If I don't know what to do, I'm looking at my work and you say, okay, target audience, I need to understand who's willing to pay for my work. And then I need to know how much my work is worth. Well, how do I make that determination? Okay. Well, there are a few ways. The first way that I really like is you spy. <laughs> you spy on your colleagues. Okay. For example, I follow all kinds of artists that I admire and look up to. And recently one of them posted paintings and she said, these are for sale. And she wrote the, the, the price. And I said, oh, that, this is really important information. She sells a drawing, an A3 drawing for $250 as a starting price, not include shipping. It gives me a really good idea of how much this quality of drawing 
worth for her. And I am assuming she works with the galleries. She knows her business and everything. I mean, I follow people that are professional to me. So if <laughs> just spy on your colleagues. That's pretty good. Uh, I mean, just just go and look for for the auction. Go to, for the gallery. Go to to everything a place that they represent the work for sale, and just look at the prices. It's really really interesting. I did this in a, a specific show in Israel. Uh, they had a catalog, and I just I snuck into the back and I found the catalog, and I saw that this kind of painting has the price of of uh, $25,000. And uh, <laughs> it was mind-blowing. I said, oh, I can raise my price a little bit. Why not? It's a little bit. It gives a really, really good idea for what's going on uh, around you. And I really recommend go to openings of galleries, talk to artists, be friends with artists, and you can ask them like how to price things. Another way is just if you haven't sold anything, you don't know anyone, you just really, really a, a green noob, right? So you just look at the thing and you try to figure out like who would want that? Who would be happy to have it? And then you imagine a person, maybe they're like you. How much could you pay for this thing? And you start, you gamble, you just gamble, you, you throw a price, you post it online, maybe someone will buy it, maybe someone will buy it, and then someone else just write in the comment, oh, I want it and I'm willing to pay more. Maybe you have a little auction, like a spontaneous auction. Okay, just you gamble, you start and you gamble. What I really, really don't recommend is start off really, really low, because it's very difficult to raise your bar. So think if you are getting paid like a babysitter or like a cleaning person or like, uh, I don't know, uh, a taxi driver, does this suit your profession? And some people will say it is because they're very insecure. But when you are selling paintings or drawings, especially paintings, it's you're selling an artwork. It's something that is unique. It's one of a kind. No one else has it. It makes zero sense to have the same price or the same salary or hourly rate as a babysitter. Okay? It no, just it. And think of other professions. How much does your shrink get for one hour of work? I think it's reasonable at the start to compare your rate to theirs. I think so okay. as a shrink, I'm assuming that there's, there's another, there's another issue here that you're touching on. Should we be measuring how long it takes us to finish a piece? Should, because it's interesting, I think. And if you want to do commissions, then you should know to, you should be able to estimate like how long it, does it take you to finish a painting? Like in general, in, I mean, you, you don't tell the, the client, I will finish this in 23 hours. I mean, you don't say it. And you, you also like exaggerate, okay, by the end of this month, I, I'm assuming it will be finished. Okay, uh, so I think you should know how much time does it take you to, to do something. And I also think that you shouldn't offer commissions that you don't know how to do yet. I mean, I offer... Uh, portraits from photographs. I go to the client and we take a really nice photo that suits a painting. Okay. And then I know how much does it take me to, to work from a photograph. Okay. Because I did it so many times. I will not 
offer a commission for a, 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 a mural, okay, or or like something really gigantic or something from imagination. I wouldn't offer this as a commission because I haven't done this. If I know there is an audience and that I'm interested in, I will do several paintings like this for myself or for a family member or something who really, really loves me. Okay, and I did this uh, for them, this piece for, I don't know, something a symbolic rate or a barter or just for favor. I don't know, whatever, a present, whatever. I will have several works that, and then I will know how much does it takes, what, what does it requires, and then I can offer this as a commission, as a thing that I'm doing. And it's really important because people just, uh, oh, I have an iPad, I'm doing commissions. <laughs> it's really, you really shouldn't do it. People just, they're consulting me. Oh, I did this thing for a client that they already paid me. And, and it's not really good. It's not really, it doesn't look like the person. What should I do? It's like, okay, is it your first time? Uh, kind of. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> I feel like there's, there's basically the two, this two uh, polls that we can see people on. One of them is too eager to already start the work without having the skills and on the other yeah. end we have somebody with the skills but maybe that doesn't even know how to how to actually yes. approach starting a project and yeah, I, so confidence yeah and yeah. I, th- i think you you said something interesting there about the spontaneous uh the spontaneous auction that's happening that leads us kind of back to social media and i i remember that you were saying something else quote before the algorithm changed something like that you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. so maybe i mean just i'm just gonna lay out how it feels like to me to be on facebook these days and maybe you can perform a correction on my brain and how and how i'm treating i that, think i'm that. watching you you're doing a pretty good job on instagram instagram I'm instagram i'm fluent I'm, i'm very fluent on instagram instagram makes perfect sense to me uh and i've i've spent a lot of time exploring how that algorithm does and it's it's a process of there was a lot of research like i would post something i'd see the engagement i'd geek out over the analytics i'd kind of understand The thing that people don't understand about Instagram, I'm just going to keep it brief because I, I don't want to ramble about Instagram because I actually want to know what you have to say about Facebook. Uh, but <laughs> on Instagram, what you have to understand is that it's not only if, if, you're, if you're posting something and, and the post isn't getting traction, the automatic response that everybody has is, oh, maybe people aren't appreciating it. But the higher, the higher level, I see that you're laughing, the higher level there is to understand maybe you've done something to offend the robots. There's an algorithm behind here and the algorithm has their own agenda. The algorithm wants to do with your work things that you don't necessarily care about, but the algorithm cares about. So when something doesn't work, it doesn't mean your drawing is bad. It doesn't mean your painting is bad. It yeah. just means it didn't, it didn't hit that mark that Instagram is, that Instagram is really yeah. looking for. So I'm sure something like that is happening on Facebook too. But my experience on Facebook is whenever I open it, I just see the same post from three days ago that I've already seen that I may have already commented on. I know I have almost 5,000 friends and yet I'm only seeing posts from maybe 50. And so if I put some spontaneous auction out there and I'm telling you, despite the fact that, you know, it doesn't even matter if my painting is going to be attraction, I, I, attractive. I know that on Facebook, I'm doing something wrong. So what should I be, yeah. what should I be doing? Well, you said whenever I open Facebook, right? I did like say that. Every- Every few days? No, much more frequently. Every day? Def- on Facebook, okay. definitely. 
Okay, on Facebook, from what I understand, and, and it's really, I think it's kind of unique because most people use Facebook now. If they want to sell, they do a, a sponsored and sponsored ads. And I don't still, and pretty proud of it, but I engage all the time. I mean, I comment to other people. I like things from other people. And also I have the Facebook group, which I, I, I'm, I'm really, 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 really active in that group. And it, it makes people see me more because I'm so active everywhere on Facebook. Everywhere I am, I'm active. By the way, for seeing the same post, <laughs> every person I, I, I confirm from my, to my friends, like my friends list, I do unfollow because I cannot stand politics and all kinds of dogs and babies and everything. So I follow, I think, only maybe 10 of my friends. And all of the rest is just art groups, art pages, and stuff like that. So when I open Facebook, I just see artworks. And also about education, it's very, very important just to feed your brain with artworks all the time. And my group. But I still, I'm, I'm really, really, I, I do so much engaging on Facebook. And it just, it gives me more exposure. Hmm. And also, I have already, I ha- also I have like 5,000 friends and like 2,000 followers. And... Mm-hmm they're kind of my target audience. I mean, they know what to expect and I keep surprising them. Also, I don't only post things about selling paintings. And it's also really, really important if you're selling through your uh, personal profile. Also through a page, but this, I, I don't know much about pages. So Why is it important? Profile, uh, because... Well, okay, again, again, what's the question? What, what's important? What's Im- you said that it was important to not only post about selling art. Maybe explain yeah. to people okay. for whom it's not because, obvious. Because people want to know the person behind the thing. It, it also happens in your show, like in the gallery. People want to meet you. They want to ask you questions. They want to know what you think about things. And they really want to know what you think about their stuff. And people just want to know what's going on. And I really enjoy Facebook, which is a really, really important point about marketing in Facebook. If you don't enjoy the Facebook, it will not work for you. Does it <laughs> know really I'm suffering? Hard. It knows it about yeah. me, huh? How yes. does it know? Algorithm knows that you are not enjoying yourself. Now, I enjoy Facebook because I post all kinds of things. If I, For example, I did this really, really big painting about... Uh, um, variety in Israeli society. And I wanted to represent that with all of the spices I can think of that are in Israeli food, which is basically all of the spices ever. <laughs> so I asked in my Facebook, hey, what is the main spices you use in your kitchen? Now, this post, it gives me information that helps me just to, to brainstorm about my work. And people know that I'm sneaky, that I'm doing something with this information. But also, it's a question that everyone can answer. And everyone enjoys reading the other answers. And they are engaging in my post. And I engage. And it just it makes this, wow, everybody's here. And something interesting is happening in, in, in this girl's page. Okay, and sometimes I ask about biblical stories and I ask about probably my computer and all of these things just brings more people that weren't engaging in the previous post. They're now engaging. OK, 
Okay, so I don't only post about one thing. I post about many things that are interesting to me. I don't fake it. I just I don't just put posts just to put them. Okay, I just I, I once asked that do you can tell can tell the difference between parsley and coriander? I put these two silhouettes of these two leaves because it I was interested in how how many people can figure out. Uh, the difference <laughs> it was just 200 comments wow and it bring really a lot of engagement to to my personal profile mm. and people are, are thinking oh she's funny i like her post she's funny okay and and they come because i'm funny because because oh and also ooh, now i have a baby <laughs> <laughs> so be funny and get babies is the notes yes. i is the notes yes. i took but to- a pet is also good but not as a baby so I want to, I want to, maybe, maybe this is going to sound conspiratorial to you, but I do recall that maybe if I look three years back, I was, I was relatively active on Facebook and also enjoying it more and also seeing more of the people that I'm friends with, even though I don't know them in real life. Like I would just follow and, and befriend some artists on Europe or whatever. And then in a, almost like one day arrived and then my posts that used to get a lot of engagement just suddenly stopped i started only seeing the people that i am you know that they know in real life i feel like the robots have gotten smarter and they know who i actually know do this change in the algorithm where people you're not engaged with for a certain amount of time then you stop seeing their posts mm. it's so it's it's also a reason i mean if you want to market your things on facebook it's also a reason to like things of all kinds of people and and send messages every once in a while. For example, in the group, I I try to to be smart with the algorithm and I say, okay, this is the post, I write some things. And if you want to know, uh, if you want to get the link to the thing that I'm talking about, just write in the comment, give me a link. So also it makes engagement. And also I have a reason to send a private message to the person. Hmm. And so they see me more because I send them a private message. So it's kind of sneaky and I don't spam. I promise I don't spam anyone, but uh, you, you just have to, to flow with it because <laughs> to flow with it. Yeah. It's Hebrew now. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, you need to go with the flow of Facebook because it's changing all the time and it just gets more difficult for, for small businesses or artists because they just want you to pay them money. Okay, I mean, I know all these uh, artists, portraits, art, I don't like calling them artists, but they make portraits <laughs> on commissions and they do these sponsored ads. And I'm guessing that because the, I see the sponsored ad, maybe, okay, maybe it works for them. So if you want to to just to to sell things through Facebook easily, I think, then just go for the sponsors ad. I mean, I know a person that pays ten thousand shekels per month for for posting on Facebook, and wow. and he sells he sells his work. He 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 has his own gallery, and he has a reputation, and everybody copies him, and because it's very easy, and. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think the two of us, the two of us and, and probably the people listening are, are almost more interested, not almost, certainly more interested in the organic hackery because uh, none of us, yeah. I don't think any one of us is, is keen on dropping 10,000 shekels on, on Facebook ads. But I want to yeah. I want to circle to something that you've mentioned twice already. And I, I'm, of course, very interested in talking about it. 
the aforementioned group, the group. So Ronnie, <laughs> Ronnie runs, uh, I guess, the biggest Israeli art community yeah. on Facebook. And I think by Not far... Really. The biggest is the most active from, I mean, I ha, we now we have uh, 42K and uh, we have over 30,000 people active. Now Facebook gives me all the analytics, 30,000 people active in this group and I'm really, really proud of it. Uh, in February, we will have 10 years and it's really, really awesome. Birthday. And it's really yeah, and, and it's, really, it's, it's actually an art community I built because I just wanted people to talk to. Just, uh, so yeah, if you I, could I tell us how it started. Tell us how it started. It started in 2012 or 11, I think, if we do the math. Oh, goodness, anyway. so we were together in Atachana back then. No, we were together in Atachana. Oh, no, you came after me and I was coming to visit. Yeah. I see, yeah. I see. Anyways, I was in these all kinds of forums, Hebrew forums about art, and most of them were for children. And I was the admin of a specific forum. And then I had this supervisor who was a 16-year-old girl, and we got this in, in this argument. And in the end of the argument, she just kicked me out of, of being the admin of this forum. And I said, really? <laughs> I'm going to destroy a forum. <laughs> <laughs> and I just opened a Facebook group, call her, call it the uh, Betzeferetziu, which means uh, drawing school or painting and drawing school, because Tziu is the same, is both in Hebrew. No, it's and Rishum. I stand by Rishum. Never mind. <laughs> no, of course, but Tziu is painting. Okay, school okay. of painting. Okay. Fine. Uh, and I just, I, I invited a few of my friends and it just grew and grew and grew. And then I think after two years work, a thousand maybe. And then I had this interview in Channel 2 on television in, in a, 10 a.m. in the morning, like only old people watches television then. And I talked about this group. It was 10 minutes interview. And in that day, I got, I think, 2,000 people added to this group. It was insane. And then speaking of Facebook algorithm on May, it was my brother's wedding. So I remember the 1st of May, 2000. And okay, I don't really remember the year, but we were, I think when I passed the limit of 3000 people in the group, I had over a hundred applications for the group in a day. Wow. And something changed on Facebook algorithm. I don't know, after you pass through a limit, it started suggesting your group to, to so many people and it just grew and blew up. And we, we got to 10,000 people, I think, through maybe two months from 3,000 to 10,000. Uh, and it just, uh, now, now I think I have... Uh, I'm adding, I started screening people. I have this question if you want to enter and I only approve people who answer the questions. So I have over 50 people, maybe 60 people a week. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's, I'm really proud of it. It's really awesome. And I opened a Patreon page for the group. It's also only Hebrew. So put the link, but I don't know. I <laughs> could join a Patreon page. I have a YouTube page with, all kinds of tutorials and explanations and I think over 200 videos already. Uh, the Instagram pages, the TikTok. And anyways, I, I'm just, I really want people in Israel to, to know more about art and I have more people to talk to. <laughs> so if, if, we, if, if we drill down on this, 
you start a Facebook group because of two reasons. You want to talk to people and you want revenge. Yes, and, want revenge. And, and I got it. And, I you, got and you love it. And you love it. Uh, but then it starts picking up and you have more people than you can possibly talk to. And this yeah. thing explodes and becomes huge. So now it, it, it looks to me like you have kind of future ambition. So where, where do you yeah. think this group, I mean, even if you started it, you know, just thinking, let's, let's do a cool thing and talk about art. But, but now that it's this behemoth, where do you want to steer this ship now that you're captain of well, something big? The, the major point on opening the, the Patreon, it was my Patreon during the, my, my year in Florence Academy. It was kind of my blog. And then when I when I got back here, and actually after after my the, the baby was born, I got so creative, crazy creative. I got so many ideas, and this was one of them. Just make the, your Patreon the group's Patreon, because I thought, okay, I have forty two people, forty two thousand people in this group. If each of them, if half of them, gives me one dollar per month, I can open a school. I can give scholarships. I can uh, I can give prizes like Shif, okay, like Shif prize or Keshet prize or all kinds of prizes we have in Israel, uh, like an artist prize. I can have exhibitions. I can buy art from from local artists that you don't know. I can have my own gallery with my own taste and just put there everything I see in value. And, uh, and I also can uh, just create courses. I can pay artists I, I appreciate and they come and they teach for a really low uh, rate. I mean, I mean, whoever comes to participate in the workshop and the course can pay really low money because the, the, the professor are already paid. So, and also I can buy art from local artists for whatever price they want. I, mean, I don't need to bargain. I don't need to have discounts. I don't need to lower the price to make them feel like, like they owe me something. I can actually like just, yeah, whatever price is saying, I can afford it because I have this 42K group. And uh, that's mainly the idea. And I really want to, to make all of this happen. And uh, it's going really slow also because COVID, of course, but uh, Israeli audience are not really familiar with Patreon yet. So step by step. <laughs> yeah, step by step. Listen, all these all these ambitions sound not only great, they sound I mean they are, I really relate to that. I mean having a having a Patreon of my own and and you know also having the ambitions to to one day open a school and all, all that stuff sounds sounds fantastic. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm rooting for you and uh, I'm I'm hoping that All of that comes to I'm looking at you, Emma. You are a part of this. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying, you know, we're in, we're in these circles, you know, we're, we're working it out. We're, we're making it happen because I think both, both you and me, uh, maybe, maybe with slightly different approaches as a response to it, kind of grew up, grew up in Israel in a, with, a, with a feeling of something is missing here artistically, you know, people... There is nothing here. Iran, Iran Weber once told me that whoever grew up in Israel and has, and has some sort of uh, aesthetic sense is so lucky. <laughs> it's, it's so unlikely to grow up in Israel and just and, and have an aesthetic sense because nothing so here... So let, let, let me just bring our audience in. So to, to those of you who are not Israeli and don't really understand what Roni and I are talking about, 
Israel is an extraordinary, and, and correct me, Ronnie, if you disagree, Israel is a very pragmatic place. Like when you go to study medicine, it makes sense to people. You go to study law, it makes sense to people. If you're developing whatever, uh, mechanical engineering. In music, yeah. in music or theater or literature, you have some place to study and it makes sense. Yeah, but when you try to study art, people ask you, okay, that's your hobby, but what are you going to do? With it? What is that? Like it doesn't even register to people as a profession, uh, which makes the environment, you know, very difficult to navigate. And I mean, my response to it, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is a, as a permanent fixture of my being, but I left. So I've been out of, of Israel for about nine years, but the stated goal was to establish all, all the stuff that I need to establish in order to, you know, hold my head up high. And then one yeah. day come back with all those resources and, do something similar to what you're doing, trying to cultivate, uh, cultivate this environment so that the other generation, like the next generation won't have to, won't have to live under no, the same conditions. It will happen in our generation. Come on. I mean, ever since I went to the Florence Academy and just posted every day, something I did there in the group, people are starting to be interested in going to school outside of Israel. And it's also, it's really new. It's really awesome. And also in the last, I think 15 years, I think in the United States alone, there they over a hundred ateliers just emerged. Mm. So there are many, many places that you can go and get education outside of Israel, and people are doing it. And now I know uh this one girl in um Grand Central Academy, and there is another another few in Florence Academy in Florence, and another one or two, I think, in the Barcelona Academy. And they are coming back. Mm. They are coming back to Israel and they start working and they start painting, they start doing commissions, they start showing their work. And people are also interested more and more in figurative and realistic painting. Also, due to we owe a lot to Israel Hirschberg and Aaron Gershoni and David Nipo and uh, Schiff Price. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think uh, last year, uh, two years ago, it was 10 years for Schiff Price and it was a huge exhibition on Tel Aviv Museum. And the, the audience was, in, I mean, there were so many visitors and it was so irregular irregular for the museum and uh, also to exposure in the, in the internet people are more interesting interested in in figurative art in realistic art in hyper realistic art whatever photorealistic art and it's come from everywhere tattoo artists are interested in this and graphic designers are interested and concept artists are interested and Everyone needs this kind of knowledge and skill. So whoever can, they go outside of Israel or they study online in platforms like Schoolism and Udemy or something like that. So it's getting better. <laughs> so just to just to tell the story to, to the people who are not in on it. So when Ronnie says that we owe a lot to Israel Hirschberg, I think we can we can safely say that he's one of the most influential classical art yeah. teachers that Israel has ever known. He studied in the United States, I think in Brooklyn with Leonard Anderson, I think. I don't, I'm not totally, sure. not totally sure, but wherever he studied abroad, he brought all this knowledge back. And then he raised two generations of just heavy hitter painters, uh, <laughs> two of whom are Aram Gershuni and David Nippo, which, which uh, uh, Ronnie mentioned. And with both of them, we, we studied with both of them. Uh, and so we could be like the third generation to the, 
Here's, here's Belgian Revolution. <laughs> no. I only been to the Tachana for six months and basically I ran away <laughs> because oh. I did not felt home. I did not understand anything and it was really, really weird experience. But I think as generally uh, figurative painters or realistic painters, we owe them so much because they opened the door to Israeli audience to really know these kind of paintings. I mean, I, I don't really like uh, the works of Aram Gershuni. Okay, I don't really appreciate him, but he opened the door. It's so, so important. And I think... Clearly, it's, it's due to his father, to his wife, to his mother. They're all like an artistic family. They, they just, they, they have these events and, and, and it, they are the celebrities of the art world in Israel. And, uh, and I think we owe them a lot, uh, everyone who is ever doing uh, uh, figurative or realistic paintings. And also we are very much uh, influenced by them because this is the reason that people are only buying still lives in Israel <laughs> is Aaron Gershuni and David Nippo and Israel Hirschberg. I mean, to call them figurative are kind of weird because they're not doing anything with the figure. Maybe every once or twice, but but I mean, mostly still lives uh, and landscapes. Uh, so and and it's really like a thing, like an Israel. What is Israeli art? What is Israeli uh, realistic art? Is usually still lives centered composition, a single thing or two things, uh, light from uh, one of the sides, usually northern light because it's so beautiful. And uh, usually it's um, it's very, I mean, it's it's not gigantic. I mean, the thing that I have behind me is like the opposite <laughs> of Israeli painting. Like they, they do all these things. Like uh, it's, it's not modest. It's like, it's... Uh, What's the word? Sanua. Yeah, modest works. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, they, they just, they paint, okay, a, a glass of water and a loaf of bread, a pot of milk, an orange, right? So, it's like, yeah, it's, it's so serious. It's so serious. It's full of ethos. Yeah, it's also, it's also, I think, I think that you're touching on such an interesting point. I just, I just kind of have to, <laughs> I just have to make sure that to everybody who's not Israeli, I'm kind of bringing them into this narrative because I'd love, I'd love to continue pursuing that point, but I think Ronnie is is describing a state of of, of Israeli realistic art uh, in in a very accurate way. There's there's a whole style around it that's very somber, very quiet, very reflective. It's not at all celebratory. It's not like a, how how would you say? It's not extravagant. It's not luxurious. It's very like matter of fact dry and and purposefully so yeah which is uh, to the people who can't who can't see the video so ronnie is pointing to a huge composition behind her of of a lady around a ton of fruits she's 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 rec- half reclining there's a lot of fruits there's a landscape with a sunset in the background so a lot of um a lot of celebration and color and 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 actually one time I, I painted this thing and it was on 2015, I think, when I was still in the Tachana. And and I didn't want to admit it, but I was so influenced by Aram and Nippo and Aram Gershon and David Nippo. And I painted this composition, I called it King, uh, Candy Kingdom. 
it was just so many candies, candy, candy, candy. It was super colorful. And I put it on a flat background, like a wall, like a drywall with, with all, the, all the cracks and everything, and on a, on a wooden table. And I showed it to Iran. And he told me, ha, huh, you're making a joke about Aram Gershuni. I said, yes. Yes, I'm doing it. Brilliant. Yes, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. And, and something funny in a serious way. Yeah, I, 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 I really I totally love relate. It. And I, I love humor <laughs> and art. But I also want to, to make sure that our listeners understand one more thing about realistic art. Unlike in New York, for example, if I'm confused about art and I want to ask myself, well, what is this thing called art? You know, I have this enormous institution called the Met. I go to the Met. Yeah. And then I see everything from the somber paintings of, of Caravaggio to the extreme celebration of the Rococo, which I hate. But we get, we get, <laughs> a, very, we get a, very, a very wide range. Within a four-hour trip to the museum, I can see all the possibilities yeah. that art history has, has uh, basically devised over the years. But in Israeli art, if you want to go see figurative painting, you kind of can't unless you do look at the works of those living masters we have very few we, we uh, have two museums that has something to offer Tel Aviv Museum of Art has a very small collection it's not a small collection actually I've been to the safe they have a huge collection <laughs> but they show only a small part of it and it's a very it's like two rooms And you can see, like, I think maybe 30 or 40 paintings. We have a Rubens, we, they have a Van Dyck, they have a Rembrandt. And it's, it's okay, but really not... You cannot compare this museum to any other museum. By the way, this museum is huge and it's pretty much empty. Yeah. But I visit the safe and they have so many things. I have no idea what... They, I mean, I do, they explain it to me, but... They don't show all they have. Also, they have an Israel, Israel Museum in Jerusalem, which is a fine museum. It's fine, mostly for archaeological and cultural things like Judaism and Islam. But they have a fine art collection, and it's fine. It's fine, but the, that, fine. that's the main reason that I feel like if you had to really yeah, question me, I mean, that's, that's, we have. Yeah, that's why I feel like I left, because for me... I wanted to be completely immersed in this thing that I found to be, you know, lacking. Yeah. For me, it felt like I wanted to be a professional swimmer in a country with no pools. You know, it doesn't, yes. it yeah. doesn't really It's, make yeah. a lot exactly. of sense. Yeah. And so I think to give, to give, uh, to give credit to our, to our, uh, To, to the living masters, to the Israeli living masters, yeah. it makes sense that their influence is so overwhelming because they're the only yeah, thing yeah. around. They're the only thing around. If you, if you want to learn how to paint figuratively <laughs> and you want to look those paintings in the face, that's kind of what you're looking at. You know, these, these are the, influen- yeah. the influences that are on offer. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's very interesting. And I think it, it, does, it does account for how different Israeli art is from yeah. even Israeli figurative art. Yeah, no, I actually, I, I've been thinking about it a lot and I also talked about it with, uh, I opened this group to have people to talk to. So, I mean, what is Israeli art? And we had this uh, really iconic exhibition in the 80s that called uh, Poverty of Matter. Yeah, we, as a quality in Israeli art, the, the whole name. Yeah, maybe say, say, say it in Hebrew so that, uh, so that we understand. 
אוקיי? It's a um, דלות החומר כאיכות באומנות הישראלית. So this would mean the poverty of means or the poverty of materials as a quality in the art of Israel. Right? Yes. This exhibition basically showed trash and garbage. Uh, I mean, this was this what they did in the 80s, everyone. Trash and garbage and all kinds of weird things like very, very postmodern conceptual things. Ugly, dirty and and really from things like like uh, old paper, newspapers and condoms and paper bags and nylon bags, all kinds of things. And I really think it set the tone. For what is Israeli art because it also connects with the culture up till then. Israeli, Israel was founded in 1948 and it's a very bad time for figurative art, for realistic art, for academic art. It's a very bad time and also people came here from Europe and they just didn't want anything to do with Europe culture. So they really reject everything that's resembled Europe culture, old culture, and they wanted to make something new. And it was all like they fit in with all the postmodern movement, Dada and whatever, post-expressionism, all kinds of things. And they they formed this kind of cliques, like a group of, a small group of people, usually white men that has some money and power and education. And they call themselves artists and they set the tone here for what is Israeli art and what is art in general. And it got into the academies and into all the galleries and all the institutions on all the teachers. And then I think in, 90, in 1992, Israel Ishberg came to, uh, to Avni College And they, they let him uh, teach a drawing class. And he saw the painting teacher and said, what? What is this? Yeah, what? <laughs> what? What is this? I'm going to, to, to make my own school. And he did. And then we started off with one teacher, with one atelier. And from there, they, they came out, uh, Aram Gershuni, maybe. Actually, Aram Gershuni really doesn't say he was a student of Israel Hirschberg, but we all kind of agree he, he was. Okay. And uh, David Nipo and Ran Reshef and Erez Aaron and all kinds of people. And Sigal Sabar, which I really like. And then we, we, we really started with a small group of people. With, and, and no one was a celebrity then. No one knew them. And, and the, the, the essence of the poverty of matter It, 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 it's now, it's still in their art. Like everything is, is like only really, really simple things. We paint simple things and we don't use any narratives. It's a potato. I don't talk about anything. It's just a potato. I see light, I'm interested in light and I don't want to, to be resembled to anything too gigantic or mythological God forbid, biblical, oh no, <laughs> they just, they're all really, really non-religious, like very atheist. I think it's atheist paintings. Uh, everyone who tries to, to paint something uh, biblical is just, oh, you're religious. No, it's propaganda. Yeah. So it's, it's really hard. And also we have this thing in Judaism, which is the rule from the Bible. You should not uh, make a sculpture or image or something like that. It has many interpretations, but basically we don't, represent the figure we just we, we don't do it it's, it's, it 
it's not acceptable really in, in Israel, in Hebrew culture, in, in Judaism culture. Although we have some Jewish painters from 19th century, it was very figurative and amazing. But uh, in, in Israel culture, it's really, I mean, if you have a nude figure, then, oh, wait, so we have to present it in uh, uh, behind closed doors and many people won't like it. And what does it mean? And if you see if a naked figure, then who is she? Who is she? I have to know. <laughs> people don't, it doesn't occur to people that she might represent an idea. Uh, no, who is she? Yeah, it's everything so, is very matter of fact. But I think from yeah. this tradition, uh, some people's work, you know, they are springing from that tradition and actually kind of flipping it over on its head. Uh, three yeah. three names come to mind who were also in all of these educational establishments that you that you list. I think people like uh, Amir Shefet, people like Ilya Gefter, people like Ran Tenenbaum. These are people yeah. who are really taking this... Uh, this Torah, you know, that we got from Israel Hirschberg and, and seeing yeah. how that can be subverted. Are there any more names or, or do you disagree with me? Uh, but uh, well, I don't, I mean, Heron Terenbaum and Ilya Gefter, I still see, I mean, Ilya Gefter, I follow him and I see mostly like the subject matter is really like life. Like, okay, this is a part of Tel Aviv. This is a part of the beach. This is, I mean, I don't really sense a sort of narrative that I can relate to anything, but okay, this is, this is where I am. This is what I live. This is my world. Okay. But what about the and, colors? The colors are definitely out there. You know, he stresses color way more than it would have been quote, you know, acceptable. I don't know. In, 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 yeah, of course. I mean, I know that there is uh, this kind of uh, style, like you see, oh, this guy is a student of Israel Hirschberg because the palette is all gray. <laughs> and one time I drove with a friend and it was so mist and rainy. So, oh, everything looks like Israel Hirschberg students work. And uh, yeah, every time you see something with bright colors or with the high chrome, it's like, ah, shit. And <laughs> there's also a Ferber. I don't know. Ferber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his landscapes are also, you see, he came from uh, the JSS school, the Israeli Israel school, but oh, wait, high chrome. <gasps> <gasps> and, and in Israel, everything is high chrome. In Israel, everything, you go out your house, everything. The, the light is high chrome, the colors, the voices, the flavors, the music, the people, the religion, everything is high chrome, high pitched, high contrast. Everything. So painting everything like mellow and quiet. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that theory. But I, I really like that because it actually suggests painting as an escape from the extremely high-pitched, high chroma reality yeah, experience of, of Israeli life. I think you I think you have a thesis there that's worth writing about, you know, how a country yeah, with, there we go. So a country with everything being so loud is actually yeah. kind of enchanted with quiet, modest painting. Uh, so yeah. Ronnie, I think this would be a great time to tell people where they can find you. Everywhere. Just Google my name and I'm everywhere, mostly on Facebook. Okay, Ronnie Yoffe, just write my name, Ronnie Yoffe, and also on Instagram, also on TikTok, and the same name all, all over. Uh, and, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I'm in all kinds of, again, forums and galleries online, but uh, mostly social media, not Twitter. I don't, I mean, I have a Twitter and it, it connects with my Facebook, but I don't, I never go 
on Twitter. So everybody should Google Ronnie Yofe, as I will spell it properly in the title of this episode. And uh, no need to follow her on Twitter because she's not going to write much there. But make sure that you <laughs> make sure that you. That no, you... it's synchronized with my Facebook. So I mean, it's all Hebrews. Oh, actually, my Instagram is English. So if anyone wants to follow me, Instagram is really the the best way. Uh, mostly stories because I'm working on really huge projects now and I don't really uh, update for uh, of personal work but my stories I show like the progress on this and I have another painting of my father and I have this commission and uh, so mostly Instagram actually for English speakers brilliant Ronnie thank you very much sure it was fun <laughs> thank you for joining me if you enjoy this podcast and would like to see it grow please take a moment to subscribe rate it highly and share it with a friend and If you'd like to become a supporter of the show and have access to exclusive content, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash Ken Goshen. For online lessons, please visit kengoshen.com slash lessons. Thanks again and see you next time.